It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships, sans the sleaze factor, while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone. And today, in keeping with my intro, we're talking about the most current studies and what's going on. I decided I was going to delve into the social media and general media online and the review of so-called studies and what they are saying that they tell us. And like anything else, you have to become uh, sort of a removed observer. And I mean, any of us who have ever grown up been uh, at college or university, been at parties, knows that it is completely absurd. I mean, do we really have to have a study that says that people take more sexual risks when they're high or when they're under the influence of alcohol? I mean, everybody knows that. You don't need a freaking study to tell you. I mean, that's absurd. But that's one of the things I'm going to look at a number of different studies and the claims and the statements that they make, because some of them, um, as we would say, aren't overly accurate. And I'm going to start with one that just came out uh, May of 2018, uh, stating that men lose interest sexually first. And... Having done my seminars worldwide for almost 20 years now, I can assure you that this is accurate. And there's a couple of reasons why, but it wasn't mentioned in the, because this was just reported in, where was this? In the sun, sun sun.co.uk, which is a uh, British-based online magazine, uh, newspaper, I should say. And what they're saying is that, you know, this professor who she is, does her work here. Her name is Kristen Mark, and she's, excuse me, at Kentucky University and making, and she did a meta-analysis. And what that means is that she looked at studies over a period of time. So she looked at 64 different studies since 1950 and it didn't state specifically what desire things or, you know, but saying, because what I know is often women will say to me, I'm not getting enough loving. I'm not, I'm not having as much good sex or I'm not having as much sex as I would like. 
And so this does not surprise me that this is what she was finding. But let's just unravel this a little bit. Let's take a few rows off this sweater and look at what this study actually tells us. And so the myth that is being removed here is that women lose their drive first, not necessarily. And, but what we do know from uh, a biological scientific standpoint, cortisol is results as a result of stress. It's created by the adrenals. They sit on like the kidneys. So when you are constantly stressed, whether it is anxious about job or you're worried about in traffic or you're worried about, you know, performance in bed or, or whatever it may be, cortisol is what's being released into your blood system. And that's the thing that keeps you safe. Everyone always uses the saber-toothed tiger as the example. But it's what keeps you hypervigilant. But what cortisol also does, it works in direct opposition to testosterone. So for men who are under stress, who are unhappy, who are concerned, you know, fear about, you know, losing their freedom sexually when they're in a long-term relationship, these are pretty feeling subjects. And my identical twin sister is an auditor for scientific research. And she would say regularly that, you know, often they would not allow people to make statements about specific subjective, meaning their own feelings. But that's what this is being reported in this range, this meta-analysis of these 64 different studies. But the thing that I think people need to understand is that we have such a stressed out world, whether it started in 1964 or whether it started now, but that, and I know for men, when they lose their lead dog, you know, position, they're no longer the top of the, the best guy in the firm or they lose their game or they lose um, a sports game or their team loses it, their, their testosterone levels drop precipitously. If they win, their testosterone levels stay high. So for men, that impact on their sex drive, I don't think they really make that connection. But I see it now. I mean, I have a hard sciences background. So when I look at why people are reporting something, the first thing I want to do is I want to look what is underneath that plate. You know, have you ever been to a, a, a luncheon or a dinner and they say, look underneath your bread plate and whoever's got the red dot gets the prize? That's what I look for. What else is being told in this meta-analysis? Now, the other thing we have to understand is the person who was writing this for the uh, Sun UK, they may not be someone who understands scientific research. They may have wanted to put just their own little spin on it. And again, I draw from my experience with Dr. Beverly Whipple, who was one of my mentors, and she is the woman who named the G-spot the G-spot, along with Lattice Cannon Perry. And I remember Beverly saying to me, do not take what someone else has written in media as the actuality of what the study is. So I would need to go back and see exactly what 
Kristen Mark did. So whenever you're looking at these studies that you're reading online or someone's telling you about, see if you can go back and read the actual study. And don't just read the pricey. Don't just read the little overview because that's edited as well. The way that you become smart about what sexuality research is, is when you put your little eyeballs on what is actually written, their conclusions, what came forward. Because many times they will twist things in order to try and sell something. The next thing you need to also be well aware of, who funded it? Where is the money coming from that is underwriting a study? Because when you have someone who is working on as a fellowship, meaning they are there to do research in a particular studied area or a professorship, again, professorship tends to be funded for, you know, two years, um, longer, a fellowship about the same, but they, one is for a million fellowship, professorship is for two million, and then goes higher up in order to get a chair. But these are research. These are research modules that allow that scholar to research the work that they want to do to have it be a contributing body of knowledge. So when you're looking at what someone is researching, you have to know where the money comes from to support it. If it's coming from a product, if it is coming from a certain lab or a certain company, you can count on the fact that they are going to get the results that they want. So you may it may be um, a study talking about comparisons of different lubricants. Again, you're going to get subjective study, subjective result, but you're also likely going to get more people saying, and here's what, here's what you and I don't know. How many people actually said they really liked it, and how many people did they take out of the study, their results out of that study, so that they could skew the statistics? Remember one thing. Um, who was it who said it? Um, well, I think it was Will Rogers. There's, you know, statistics, you know, there's lies, lies, and then damn statistics. I'm, I'm totally fouling that one up. But what it boils down to is statistics, they will, they will massage statistics to do whatever they want so that they can try and influence you with a statement. Keep that in mind, okay? It's the same thing they do when they're trying to tell you, oh, you must get a Gardasil shot. No, you don't. Okay. And if you want to do your research on that, look up Dr. Diane Harper, H-A-R-P-E-R. And I'll, you know, when we come back, I can, you know, make further statements about that. We're coming up to our first break. Any questions you might have, you can always find me on my website, uh, loopadget.com, or you can go office at loopadget, L-O-U-P-A-G-E-T. And what I do when I'm reading a study, I'm always looking for what piece of information jumps out that tells me something's being skewed. And when I look at this, what I'm not finding is the science that says we need to have addressing the stress for men. 
women tend to be better at dealing with stress than men do. I don't know why. I think it might be that we have a blend of estrogen and testosterone, but I do know that men who lose their jobs, who lose their money, their libido just, I mean, it just absolutely crashes through the floor. We've got 15 seconds. When I come back, I'm going to talk about <laughs> the things about what most couples now are looking for is their preferred fantasy. That's the next study we'll talk about. Here come the tunes. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. offer wonderfully wild and wacky summer foods. From chicken fried bacon in Texas to Minnesota spaghetti and meatballs on a stick. There is something about dining at the fair that can make anyone an opsomaniac or a person who is driven to the point of madness by food. State fairs are famous for their loverwort or food with no nutritional value. The California State Fair boasts fried Krispy Kreme chicken sandwiches. That's fried chicken and Swiss cheese tucked into a Krispy Kreme donut served with a side of honey sauce. At the Iowa State Fair, you can enjoy a hot beef sundae. That's a big scoop of mashed potatoes over roast beef covered with gravy, sprinkled with cheddar cheese, and garnished with a cherry tomato to look like a sundae. What's another word for messy food? Ma Wallop. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Nuts are an overall good choice for snacking. Almonds are my favorite nut, and I try to include them in my daily eating. Almonds have more calcium than any other nut. They are low in carbs, but high in fiber and protein. Studies show that eating almonds and other nuts will give you a feeling of fullness longer and help you eat fewer calories throughout the day. 12 almonds are under 100 calories and very satisfying. Peanuts are another good choice. Health Magazine says that like most other nuts, peanuts are also full of brain-boosting healthy fats and vitamin E as well. One ounce of peanuts, about 28 unshelled nuts, contains about 170 calories, 7 grams of protein, and 14 grams of fat. Eating nuts helps your brain power and reduces inflammation. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I'm going to be covering the thing that I often talk about in my intro, or as mentioned in my intro, what these studies, and you know, what the most current studies actually tell us, or do they? So this is one that I happened to notice today on Daily Mail. 
www.co.uk. You will note I'm not going to American websites. Oh, no, they cannot be trusted. So this is from, but again, the researchers are American. This is an individual by the name of Lay Miller, L-E-H-M-I-L-L-E-R. Now, let me just find my little page here. Here we go. And oopsie, one second. There we go. Uh, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. And he happens to be a uh, fellow, a research fellow at the Kinsey Institute. Happens to be in Indiana. And he has written a new book entitled, Tell Me What You Want. The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help Improve Your Sex Life. Now, it says it's based on the largest domestic survey on sexual fantasies. Well, first off, that's not true because the largest domestic, the largest domestic survey on you know, sexuality and sexual fantasies was um, 2010, 2008, and that was 6,000 plus people. Now, if they're saying it's only about fantasies, which I'm not sure. I mean, he may have like adjusted it, but he's saying that there were 4,000 Americans between the ages of 18 and 87. And the, the opening comment is that the number one thing that most couples are wanting or most people, Americans are wanting, is group sex is by far the most common theme to emerge. Now, it doesn't say over what period of time. You said it was done, I think, two years. Now, it was a long survey. It was 350 questions. And the one question was, what's their biggest fantasy of all time? And they came back with group sex was by far the most common theme to emerge. And he states... The results of my investigation reveal that the single most popular sexual fantasy among Americans today is, drum roll please, group sex. More than one third of my participants described it as their favorite fantasy of all time and when asked if they had ever fantasized about multiple partner sex before, not just whether it was their favorite fantasy, the majority, vast majority of men and women agreed. What I didn't find in here, he talks about fantasies, is did they act on them? Because what I have found is that there are more people will say they'd like to do something, but the reality of doing it is very different than the fantasy that's between their ears. Now, wanting multiple partners has now become something that's much easier for people to talk about. Let's look at the environment that this study is being conducted in. It's online, so people can be more anonymous. It is 2008, you know, 2016, 17, 18. What do you think one of the biggest influencers for people talking about sexuality is? Anything that's online, anything. I'll, Use as an example, my, I have a friend of mine who, she has a granddaughter who's 10. Her eldest granddaughter is 10. And this little girl knows every single thing about makeup because that's what she looks at online. That is her focus. She 
will open it up. She'll see the thing that she wants to try. She'll see whether or not she can try and do it. And that's 10 and that's makeup. Now, when we look at the things that have come forward for couples, for individuals, a lot of this is, this is just what is today now. And I use the example of this was probably at least, gosh, 15, maybe 18 years ago. And a friend of mine's son had just graduated from college and he was working at Microsoft. And one of the biggest things that they were looking at is what were the metrics of behaviors of kids who were in uh, junior, who were in middle school and high school, and what were their sexual behaviors. And one of the biggest things that came out of that was swinging. Now, they're not calling things swinging so much now as because that implies that you're in a previous <clears throat> relationship and you're having sex with others. But we have more people who are identifying as open relationships, as having multiple partners. And so I don't think that this is a new biggest sexual fantasy at all. Swinging and wanting to have other partners without the impact of divorce has been around for forever. Why do you think there's affairs? Yet, when we look at, and here's what I'd like to know from him is, do these people act on these sexual fantasies or just think about them? Now, the non-monogamy and, you know, the open relationships, uh, I will give as an example that um, any of you who know who Jada Pinkett, Jada Pinkett Smith is, and she has a daughter, Willow, and Pinkett Smith has a show, I believe it's on Facebook, I think it's Facebook um, Live or something. Anyways, she is, it's called The Red Table. And she had her daughter Willow there and her mother and a friend of Willow's. And they were talking about sex and how they learned about sex and how, you know, the sex that they've had in their lives, which for most people is, that's a slightly... Um, Yikes, really, you're having that conversation with your mom? But this is something she was like, I wanted to, she, she said, I want to know who you learned from and how. And she was saying, you know, that there were some, you know, her friends had shared things. But what she also, when she was asked, would you want to only be with one person? And Willow said, oh, absolutely not. Now, she was born in 2000. So she's 18 years old. And she said, I cannot see my life. I cannot see going through life with just one person. So that is a very different view than some people who are in their 40s or 50s. Yet for her peer groups, that's very normal. Having an open relationship, having something where this is, you know, the one person that or, you know, I'm with you now. But when I look at the rest of his study, uh, this is, what's his name again? It is Justin, Dr. Justin Lehmiller. And as I said, he's a fellow at Indiana. But he has, what do, in his mind, he talks about what do 
the overall sexual fantasies that Americans dream up. And he says one of them is rough sex. And again, these are things that are being shown and seen online. And Leigh Miller says that people like BDSM, bondage, dominance, sadomasochism, and S&M, sadomasochism, because they are taking on submissive or dominant roles, which help them focus their sexual energy and make them less likely to get distracted during sex. Okay, that is someone who didn't really understand what this is about. These are power exchanges. And the other thing about many fantasies, but particularly um, rough sex or any sex or kink, they are very, very negotiated. And the people won't know how they want to feel. They, um, they really should have someone who can guide them if they're a newbie in this area so that they get a feeling of, you know, not being out of control or they know the questions to ask. It's best to go and observe something if you think you want to try this rather than just jumping straight in. So it's, and anything in areas like this has to be consensual, sane, meaning not under influence of anything, and um, safe. It has to be something that people feel safe. So when we talk about kink or rough or something, you know, pushing the boundaries, part of that is that you have so discussed what you're going to do that you are able to focus so they're focusing their mind and their sexual you know, um, energy. And that's something that they are able to be just the two of them and wanting to have the sensation and how it makes them feel. I want to feel like you are you know, telling me that this is what I need to do or I can you know, tap you with my little quirt or my little whip and you are to do exactly what I say. There are many different reasons why people want to try these things um, or being bound where someone, you know, a trusting thing. The homoerotic sex, which Leigh Miller says people fantasize about sex with the same gender for the same reason, you know, they fetishize group sex. Well, fetish size is not the same thing as fantasize. A fetish is a completely different thing. A fetish is a product or something that you are focused on and that's your turn on. So the leather is the thing that's your fetish. The shoe is the fetish. The human is not your fetish. It is something that is typically inanimate. So again, I'm just telling you, when you're reading these things, you have to know whether or not the person knew what they were talking about. Fetishizing group sex is not what you do. You can fantasize about group sex, and indeed it is out of the ordinary, but it, and he's saying it could be a rebellion against society. Well, for most people, just about everything about sexuality is rebellion against certain forms of society. We're coming to our next break. When I come back, I will be talking about finalizing, looking at this, and then we'll go into Herbinex study with 6,000 people.
is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. that besides home and work, Americans spend more time at the mall than anywhere else? There are 50,000 shopping malls in the United States alone. The Mall of America, located between Minneapolis and St. Paul, is the largest in the world with more than 500 stores. What's a word for a person who is a compulsive shopper? An oniomaniac. Studies have shown that women will buy more if they hear their heels clicking on the floor. So designers often use hard flooring in hallways. Of course, the stores want customers to spend all their coopity coop. That's another word for money. Well, I gotta run. There's only one more shopping day until tomorrow. My husband said if I don't quit shopping so much, he would leave me. Lord, I'm gonna miss that man. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. There is a definite difference between wanting to exercise and actually doing it. The National Center for Health Statistics recently revealed a study that found that 63% of Americans believe that exercise will make them healthier, leaner, and less stressed, but they still don't do it. Remember, 64% of Americans are overweight or obese, so you can see the direct correlation here. If you find that you are lacking the motivation to really get with it and get on an effective exercise program, help is on the way. As a personal trainer, I tell my clients to dive in full force. Buy books and magazines about exercise and healthy eating. Make a plan for when you are going to exercise every day. Schedule it on your calendar. Hire a personal trainer or find a friend who has similar goals and meet with them several times a week. Being accountable to someone else increases your motivation. I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hey, welcome back. Um, I was talking about a study by uh, uh, Justin. Is it Justin? Mm-hmm. Let me make sure I get this right. Um, Yes, Dr. Justin Laymiller at Kinsey Institute in Indiana. He's a research fellow there. And so, you know, what do sexual fantasies... What... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just noticed a massive type over. What over sexual fantasies... I think it should be what other sexual fantasies do Americans dream about? So talking about the different, you know, more kink, fine, homoerotic... Many times people will, you know, it's like, okay, are we? And that can also go along with the multiple partner fantasy that, you know, is it two men with one woman? Is it two women with one man? Is it, you know, girl on girl at some place or, you know, you know, male on male? But he says, you know, they fantasize about sex with the same gender for the same reason 
should be fantasize about group sex out of the ordinary. Okay, so it's pushing your boundaries. The other thing he says is fictional characters. And one of the surprising finds of the studies is that Americans don't necessarily romanticize sex with celebrities. Romanticize or fantasize? Let's get this, let's get this straight. <laughs> Whoever was who wrote this, let me see who this person was who wrote this. Because I'm finding they're not getting these things accurate. It was a Daily Mail, just by a Daily Mail reporter. Okay. Humph. Can't hold anyone responsible. Anyway, the, but I would say from what I've, they often say they'll go to fictional characters, such as comic book characters. Now, no question, sometimes they will do that. But what I also know is there are times when people will fantasize their partner is a celebrity or someone else that they find highly attractive. And that's what gets, you know, the mental juices going for them. And, you know, people have been doing that for centuries. This is, you know, the fantasizing is not new. What is new is that it is much more talked about. There are, you know, people in their early 20s saying, okay, we're going to have a threesome this weekend and it'll be you, me, and them, and let's get together, and off they go and try something. But, it, you know, it's experimentation and it's fun for them. It doesn't mean they're always going to do that. It could mean that they will, but not necessarily. And we have changed how people are, finally, we've come up with that you don't have to always do the same thing. Thank God, or we'd be bored out of our freaking mind. Now, the next one I would like to talk about is uh, this is uh, another Indiana uh, study, and it was done by Dr. Uh, Debbie Herbenek, and it was a study of 6,000 individuals, uh, and what they looked at, it was in the Journal of Sexual Medicine uh, between ages of 14 and 94, and they looked at what, you know, were they enjoying themselves, what type of sex were they having, now, this is, you know, in 1990, things had, you know, that was previous research. This was something that was done in 2010. So, you know, 20 years, particularly in the sexual landscape, that's a long time for a lot of change. And she was looking at the main thing that she was comparing was that men, the perception that men's perception of what was happening for women sexually when they were having intercourse or having sex was very different than the reality of what was happening for women. And you may remember that I had talked about uh, another article on how the fake female orgasm statistic basically is about gender bias. And that was Suzanne Weiss, and she wrote about it, oh gosh, I don't know. Anyways, it's, it's literally the fake female orgasm statistic and what it shows about gender bias. And what it shows is that women are supposedly going to take 20 minutes to orgasm. And that was because what they were looking at in these studies was the way that most women orgasm the most easily is 
from either manual stimulation or oral stimulation. And the way that men can orgasm easily, obviously, you know, from oral manual, but also intercourse. That's one of the, you know, that's kind of like, that then is real sex. But that's not the way that women get their greatest amount of pleasure. So she was looking at who, uh, where did this 20 minutes that it takes women to orgasm come from? And so she actually contacted Dr. Debbie Herbenek, who was the woman who did this study of the 6,000, again, an online study, so people could be anonymous. And the 14-year-old had to get permission from the parents to answer the survey. But she looked at that when Weiss called her, Herbenek said, well, this is the number that was in Kinsey's uh, research. And again, it goes back to here these women were getting really turned on with oral and with manual, and then they're being expected to have an orgasm in a way that wasn't the one that gives them the greatest amount of pleasure. Intercourse. Women on top usually have a much better chance of creating the orgasm because they're the one who's in control of the motion. So when I looked at this, in Herbenek's study, 85% of men perceived that women were climaxing, when in all actuality, 64% of the women were reporting that they orgasm. That's like almost, you know, a quarter, you know, 25% difference. And for, and, and so what, then they look at what was the reason for it. And I do think Debbie is, is right in this, is that, you know, people, there's a decided lack of communication. And also using, you know, Dr. Pepper Schwartz, and Pepper and I are on the same leadership council at the University of Minnesota, the Program in Human Sexuality, the uh, Sexuality uh, Council. And what we do is we put together, we are responsible for getting funding and money for chairs, fellowships, and um, professorships in areas of sexuality. But Pepper is a professor of sociology at University of Washington, and she said, you know, the script may be that they're too embarrassed to talk about it, and for many men, they have kind of a vested interest in being able to give her an orgasm. So when I look at these, this study, I see it, you know, that we're programmed through social media uh, for, you know, that the social media of, and the adult industry of when you are looking at something, you're going to do this, and this is what people are doing out there. And I know that when I see something in an area of adult novelty or adult play, I know eventually it's going to translate into the bedroom. And then people are going to ask me questions like, why is he doing X, Y, or Z? Or why is she doing this? And it's because they've seen it and it looks like it would be, you know, interesting to try. But understand that the people who are, who are the sex workers and the sex, you know, um, people doing sex scenes, they're following someone else's script. 
that's not necessarily what they would do. So thinking that that's going to be what would work for you, it may not. And But also going back to this study, the other co-author of it is a gentleman by the name of Michael Reese, R-E-E-C-E. And what Michael said is one of the things that is changing is that there are more men who are giving as much oral sex as they are receiving. And I think part of that is that this is now a generation of men who, who, who got two generations of men, three almost, being raised with, this is the way that women derive a great deal of pleasure. Now, despite DJ Khaled, who you know says, my wife has to go down on me, but I'm not going to go down on her. Needless to say, there was a lot of backlash when he made that statement. Oops. But what Reese is saying is that it struck him as kind of like different that now we are seeing almost the same amount of giving and receiving by men of oral sex than was there before. Because you have to understand, coming out of the 60s and 70s, that was something that only certain people did. And now it's like one of the most normal things is kind of like that's the precursor to going on to intercourse for many couples. I will also say for some couples, for some women, having someone go down on them is even more intimate than having intercourse because this is when their, you know, their body is receiving only for them, which is why I teach the Kivin method, K-I-V-I-N, which was taught to me by Dr. Patty Britton when I was at the World Association of Sexology in Paris. And she had done a study of an individual who, he, his name was not Kivin, but he was from you know, the island areas, and he had a style of oral stimulation for women that was almost guaranteed to create an orgasm. And he wasn't straight between the legs. He was at a right angle. So his tongue was going over the top of the clitoral hood, not just straight up and down. It was over and hitting the clitoral nerves on either side of the clitoris. But when we come back, we're coming up to our next break. Any questions, you can find me at office at lupaget.com. And here come the tunes, and when we come back, I'll talk about the best oral sex for women. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet.com. This is Toginet, cutting-edge radio. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Recording of our own voice, it always sounds different than we think. 
This is because the bones in our skull create a resonance from within that makes our voice sound deeper to us. But our recorded voice is how others hear us. I'm sure I'm not the first person who has uttered the words, I really don't sound like that. Do I? Margaret Thatcher famously underwent vocal training to lower her voice and make her sound more statesmanlike. Recently, British Airways polled Americans and Britons to see who they believed had the sexiest voices. Morgan Freeman was voted number one. If a judge loves the sound of his own voice, expect a long sentence. What's a word for a person who loves to hear the sound of their own voice? A philodox. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Okay, not to keep you in suspense, but here we go. The Going back to the best way for a good percentage of women to experience orgasm is oral stimulation. And the best technique I've ever heard of is called the Tivin, pardon me, Kivin, K-I-V-I-N, I write about it in my books, or the Tahitian method. And so instead of being between the legs of a female partner and the tongue is just stroking up and down over the clitoral hood, the partner is at a right angle to the woman's hips. So the chin and will be like at a 90 degree angle and one hand is holding back the pubis mons, which is the area where the pubic hair would be if there is pubic hair. And then the other finger watch the fingernail, is on the uh, perineal area. So that's the area between the entry into the vagina, the introitus, that's, that's where that is, and the anus. The reason that finger is there, and that finger's not moving, is to give you a feedback loop that your tongue is in the right place. If your tongue is stroking in the right place over the hood of the clitoris, and you can pull it back more and ex- expose more of the clitoris, there will be what they refer to as pre-orgasmic contractions. That tells you that you are in the right place. The finger that is on the taint or the um, perineum does not move. It just stays right there. The only thing the woman has to do is relax into the sensation, period. She does not have to do anything else. And the more... But this, the tongue will let your tongue can let you know that you're in the right place because when she is stimulated enough, you might feel two little dots that feel like two little dots of rice. Those are the nerves. Those are the clitoral nerves. And that area also is vasocongestive, like a penis. I mean, these are the same embryological tissues. The clitoris itself swells and gorges with blood and lifts up. So sometimes... A partner will be going, oh, my God, where did it go? Well, it did what a penis does. It becomes erect and lifts up. So that's why you may have to pull back 
on the pubis mons area to expose more of the actual clitoral um, head itself. And then because there's three things that make for being able to create incredible stimulation for women. It's heat, it's constant pressure, and it's moisture. So your mouth would be creating that in that combination. Men have also said the reason that oral sex works so well for them is it's almost like your hand and your mouth are creating an imposter vagina combination of heat, pressure, and moisture. And that's the same thing that men say makes for, you know, entering a woman with their penis is that combination of those three sensations. So keeping that in mind, you, your tongue is there and it takes much less time to have a woman come to full orgasm using the Kibben slash Tahitian method. So you can read about it in my books. Um, Kibben is K-I-V-I-N method. Now, going back to the uh, study that Debbie Herbenek did. Now, people will say, okay, it was funded by Trojan, so there's a problem with it. Yes, it was funded by Trojan, and looking at the, um, the use of protection and what was happening. But the interesting thing is the, the um, individuals who were doing the analysis of the data, they were not funded by Trojan. That was a separate group. And that's where I'm talking about sort of like the separation between who underwrote it and what were the results that they wanted to get. Because let's be honest, we're very programmable. And that's one of the things I think we have to look at when we look at a study. What were they trying to show that's unique in, you know, our behaviors? There's not a lot of whole new things being created. What is unique and different now that I see is that we've got more people identifying as something very unique to them. And they don't want to be lumped into just a group way of saying, oh, you are this or you are that. And I know that flies in the face of what some people would like to, you know, understand. But if you've ever been around when someone has dealt with um, their questioning, what they're interested in, they're wondering if there's something here, and they're looking whether they call it gender fluidity, whether they call it, you know, pansexual, they're looking at it and what resonates for them. And I'm not inside their bodies. I'm not inside what they find appealing. But I do know that we've had enough of people shaming people because they're, you know, one orientation or another. And what has happened, interestingly enough, I just read this, the, um, there has been a, re a real reduction in the suicides of gay um, teens and young adults because of legalized gay marriage. And the reason I would hazard a guess that that's the case is that these kids are told, if depending on where they are and what they have been raised with, that if they are gay, they're going to hell, they're never going to be loved, 
they are broken. God will not take care of them. They are never going to have um, a family. They are going to be a social outcast and, you know, a pariah for the rest of their lives. Now, when they haven't even found love, they don't even know anything about it. That's why the Trevor Project got founded to help, you know, young, you know, gay, lesbian, trans, bi, querying, whatever, you know, term they want to use so that they don't feel so alone. And thank goodness for the internet because it did create a community that had never been there before. And it showed them they weren't alone, particularly if they were, you know, uh, physically isolated from people of a community that they identified with. Now, another thing that we found in this, in the Herbenek, uh, the Reese Herbenek study is the normalizing of masturbation. Thank goodness. The other thing, I mean, baby boys masturbate in utero. Let's just, you know, and how, what does a baby know from not natural, right? And animals masturbate. What do they know from not natural? That's natural for them. What also helped on normalizing this is that sometimes people would feel, oh, my partner doesn't love me because they're masturbating. No, not necessarily. The majority of people in committed relationships do masturbate. I mean, it's a really high number, particularly for men. And it may be that this is a stress release. It may be, oh my gosh, God forbid, it really feels good. So the other thing that masturbation is something that is normal is, I mean, I, you know, the, the comment of what is it? Woody Allen's comment, listen, you know, don't knock it. It's sex with someone you love, but there's also a reason why there are more water resistant sex toys. You want to know why? Because people are using them in the showers because that's one of the only places they have any privacy. I remember a friend of mine, I remember when Jenny Say was sharing with me that the reason why there's so many more vibes that are waterproof is because for women who are mothers, that's the only place they have any privacy is in the shower because they certainly don't have privacy when they're trying to go to the bathroom. Kids like barge through the door. So, but that's also the same thing for men. There are more waterproof toys for men. Another statistic that is coming more to the forefront, again, bless us, we are programmable, is anal intercourse. In the 90s, probably only 20 to 25% of people had tried anal intercourse. And for the majority of women, they tried it once. It was like, ouch, and like, forget it, you know, after a martini or two. But what had happened is that there... You know, the, the anal area can be very eroticized depending on what someone's perceptions are. It is much more common in uh, Central South America and in Europe for anal intercourse than in North America, typically. And it's also used in order for to either A, maintain virginity prior to marriage or as a form of birth control. So... It's used, you know, uh, erotically, but also let's take into consideration at the time when this was first coming out, 
uh, the study was coming out in 2010, there had been a range of different uh, video series. There was the Gonzo College series. There was the Bend Over Boyfriend about pegging. There was Girls Gone Wild. And when they're saying, you know, that the couples, you know, people in their 20s and their 30s, 40% of them are doing this more commonly. Well, yeah, because that's what they got exposed to. And, but, you know, I, I will agree that when looking at these things, we also have to look at the sexual health aspect of it. And if we have, as Pepper Schwartz puts it, <laughs> Dr. Pepper Schwartz says, you know, she's at University of Washington, sociologist and works in the area of sexuality. And she said, people have to stop being prissy about this. This is something people are going to do. We need to be able to talk about it in a way that gives people the sexual education and the sexual health education that keeps them safe. Because if someone is having anal intercourse and then goes straight to vaginal intercourse, they're just transferring all of that, what is healthy in the rectal anal area, bacteria, into the vagina. Not a good move. Not a good move at all. Um, it requires, you know, clean, no, if you're doing one, don't do the other. If you have anal toys, you don't use them vaginally. Keep them separate, one to the other. But today, any questions you have, we're coming down to our final minute here. I hope this has been helpful because when you look at studies, you need to look at who funded it. What are they trying to find out? Did they present anything new for you? Did they present anything that had you go, oh, that could be applicable for me, I think for many couples to see that, you know, things got normalized, that's a good thing. Fantasies are normal, but whether you act on them, that's another matter. Take care, everyone. Have a good rest of the day. And here come the tunes. for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget 